hello, hello. Welcome to episode 20. Sorry, I just really enjoy singing into a microphone. Uh, If any of you ever want to do karaoke, just let me know. I am happy to share my duet of Brandy and Monica's The Boy Is Mine with any one of you. That's how much I like all of you. Today, in a beautiful form of fate, my monologue, rant, yelly bit, whatever we're calling this intro part that I do, will be uh, pretty relevant to the episode. All of this will become clear once you've listened to the whole thing, but you know. If you don't live in Toronto, maybe you don't know, probably you don't know, that the big old comedy fest that happens in the city, JFL 42, is rolled through town. There's still the Just for Laughs in Montreal, and then JFL 42 is our little Toronto version. It's good, it's fun, it's like comedy Christmas. There's like a million comedians in town. You get to see a bunch of shows. I did a show for JFL this weekend, it was really awesome. But it's brought up a conversation that I feel like I have to have, you know, every couple months or so since I started comedy, which is just an endless piss off to me about booking and about representation and about sort of the laziness inherent and the bias inherent in how shows are booked, how shows are put on and the conversations we have around them. For example, if you look at the JFL 42 lineup, it is like, I would say, 85% men. Which is like bad, do you know what I mean? And this year is like heavy on the white people mostly straight people every year you know what I mean every year it's the same shit and there was a conversation around this JFL like showcase show that was happening at Absolute where they had like 15 comics only one of them was a woman and this woman is like a comedian who is so seasoned she's been doing it for like 20 years and there's just like dudes on the show who've been doing comedy for less time than I have men in the community and bookers always come back like, oh, well, you know, we ask women to do these shows. Like, we try to have a diverse lineup, but like, women say no, like people of color say no, like queer people say no, and then, you know, we just have to book who says yes. What the fuck is up with that? I ask you, dear listener, what the fuck is up with that? I run a show, I run a monthly show with my dear friend, Matt Collins. Shout out to Matt Collins. It's not that hard for us to book a lineup that isn't all straight white guys. We put together a list of people and then if someone says no, we're like, oh shit, it's too dude heavy. It's too like straight people heavy. It's too like white people heavy. Like it's just being like slightly less lazy in your booking. It's just like expanding the network. It's expanding your frame of reference. That's what it is. It's not like, oh, it's impossible because there's no one and women say no and whatever. It's like, that's lazy. It's lazy and it's upsetting as hell. Out here in Canada, there is a crazy club system. It's like Yuck Yucks and like Absolute are the two big comedy clubs. You can work for them. They pay you fucking peanuts. 
Mark Breslin, the guy who fucking runs Yuck Yucks, said to the Globe and Mail last year, I can only put one woman and one person of color on a lineup at the time because that's all the audiences can handle. That's all that they want. Like, I'm not a fucking mathematician, but why couldn't the audiences handle a little bit of diversity, but they can really handle 13 straight white guys? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Also, would it blow Mark Breslin's mind to know there are women of color who do stand up? Holy fuck, dude. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, we have no idea. <laughs> we can't even speak properly about diversity to the country's national paper. Listen to me running my comedy career into the fucking ground. <laughs> every time, every time I go on this rant, which I have, you can find it all on Twitter. Every time I get booked on less shows. I don't know. I'm sure in every other comedy community that exists throughout this world, there are people who are working to carve out spaces. At the end of the day, like, that's what you gotta do. Cause like, these dudes are not gonna listen to us. They never have. I've literally been beating this drum for three years. I just get booked less. <laughs> no one changes anything. People argue with me, tell me that they don't appreciate being called sexist or racist, which is like, yeah, okay. Thanks for missing the point, y'all. <laughs> Thanks for endlessly missing the point. It's just, it's a piss off when all that work sort of gets thrown in your face by the big big institutions by the man, man, you know? This episode is a good one. For episode 20, we have a very special guest. We have my comedy mentor, my beautiful friend, Dom Whitwell, is here to talk to me. She has had a crazy long and wonderful career in comedy. She's one of the writers on the Baroness Von Sketch Show, which you need to check out if you have not. One of our previous guests, Monica Heisey, also writes for that show. Dawn has been on both JFLs. Uh, she runs the one and only comedy course for women in Toronto called Comedy Girl, which I took, which was like the thing that like got me, taught me how to write jokes, taught me how to be a comic, taught me how to get on stage, all that important, important shit. Dawn also runs a show every Monday at Comedy Bar called Dawn Patrol. It's amazing. One of my favorite shows in the city. Always stacked, uh, especially when I'm on it. <laughs> Um, but I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Episode 20, baby. We made it. We're almost legal drinking age in the States. Well, done. How are you this fine, rainy afternoon? That's some pretty impressive intro music you got there. <laughs> it gets added in post. <laughs> um, well, I really appreciate you coming in to do this today. Well, thank you, because you're all the way at Front Street, so it's a bit of a journey. <laughs> oh, my God, you're such a West Ender. <laughs> Truthfully, yeah, I was. Uh, I had to go to my dentist today. This is real interesting stuff. But I had to go to my dentist today. Which I is... went yesterday. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, and then I forgot to come here. Yeah, I know. We're doing a a re up. It's okay. Anyways, dentist. Yeah. Uh, my dentist is just all the way out at Runnymede. 
That's unnecessary. I know, but I used to live in High Park, and they're so good. Like, today, the woman was like, oh, like, actually, this time they didn't, your insurance didn't cover the polishing, so your bill's going to be the, like, it was, like, something minor, but, like, I get paid tomorrow, so I'm just, like, running on fumes right now, and I was like, hey, is it okay if I just, like, pay you later? And she's like, of course, don't even mention it, and I was like, how did I end up with these beautiful angels? <laughs> like That is something. That is nice. Yeah, man, that's some real West End shit. Well, if you find a dentist that you don't mind, yeah, you're going to travel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my- I just avoided mine for so long because the guy was so rough, and then they got this other dentist, this woman who's just humane. <laughs> and... Um, they want me to come back, and um, they actually at the reception, they're like, um, we can book you back in with this dentist that you like. And then when they send me a reminder call, they're like, you're doing tomorrow at 4 o'clock with the dentist you like. Because <laughs> I just won't go. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's like when people are really like, it is not unpainful just to even get your teeth cleaned, Just right? being in my mouth. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. It's get a- out of my mouth. It's my hygienist today was, like, really chatty. The thing is, is I have really sensitive gums. Like, I floss every day, but my gums are still, like, prone to – if you're really whacking at them, they're going to bleed. But I know that it looks like there's been a you massacre. You don't want to overbrush those yeah. things. Are we yeah. going to do the whole podcast on <laughs> brushing and flossing? Um, Honestly, floss your fucking teeth. There was something oh, on yeah. the internet recently that was, like – that went around on Twitter that was, like, ha-ha, flossing. You don't have to floss. And I was, like, who wrote – this is a trash – like article you have to fucking you know you floss your teeth and so much shit comes out you're just probably if you read the article like i stopped flossing for two weeks and i'm fine yeah you're like no your teeth are gonna fall i didn't have dental for like 15 years and i flossed rigs because i didn't want to need it i once had a dentist be like if you can't go to the dentist floss your fucking teeth like flossing is your insurance if you don't have insurance and i was like well that's a hot tip Real hot tip from the de- from a dentist. For dental hygiene. Okay, watch how I professionally segue here. Are you Go ready? For Are it. you ready for this? When you work as a comedian and all your work is like freelance, <laughs> um, you like can't afford to go to the fucking dentist. It's so expensive. You got that in there. That's great. Yeah. So it's crazy we don't have dental or solidarity of any kind. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I would say the Toronto comedy community is as fierce or fiercer than the gay community. Really? Oh, absolute mom. And you've been a part of both for a long time. A long time. And uh, you've done some A-B testing on this theory. Pardon? I said you've done some A-B testing on this theory. <laughs> I would say in recent, more in recent years, um, yeah, like uh, I've seen the comedy community come together for some pretty cool stuff. I think we have different perspectives about comedy because I'm like three years in and you are like, well, how many years? 300. 300 years. How many years have you actually been doing comedy? 97 is when I started April, 97. That's 19 years. Damn, Don. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's it. That's like, I find in comedy too, people are like really like interested in how long you've been doing it. Yeah, I know. And I haven't, like, there were some years in there I was not doing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, because there's some people who will go at it real hard mm-hmm. for that long. And yeah. th- they're famous. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, you always have a more positive view of like the comedy community than yeah. I do, but it's because like everyone you know is good. Like everyone you know is professional and good and like kind and lovely. And yeah. like sometimes when you're in the dregs of the like open mic shit, you're just like <sighs> humanity. Yeah, so. but when I was in those rooms mm-hmm. and starting out, it was. 3,000 times worse yes. than it is now. Totally. I remember being at an open mic once and Toronto comedian Jordan Foisey was like, you guys don't understand, like, I've been doing comedy for a good amount of time. And he's like, the fact that there's, like, half women in this room, in this open mic room, he's mm-hmm. like, it's a totally, it just, like, changes the vibe. It makes it so much less gross and weird than just, like, 50 dudes waiting to do, like, five minutes on their dicks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just, like... It makes it such a difference. And I was like, yeah, I bet. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And just the fact that there is a um, a substantial female community mm-hmm. here and support. And, like, even just comedy bar existing is radical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when I was starting out, there might have been, like, eight women total. Yeah, that's crazy. And, like, no mentors Because if there was a job for a woman in Canada, a female comedian, Mm -hmm. there was one job. So if Elvira had that job, Mm -hmm. she's not mentoring anybody. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to take my job (laughs) because there's just one job, (laughs) you know, like, you know, but she has mentored me a lot. I have to be fair. Um, But like I wasn't taking the path she was taking. So there was just like, yes, she was a successful role model, but not in the way I was going to be. And now you can look at several different examples of uh, women in comedy, especially around Toronto, doing things like so many different ways. Like anyone starting out can kind of find someone to look up to and sort of have some guidance, I guess. Yeah. So just for clarification, Dawn runs Comedy Girl, which Mm -hmm. is the only, the first and only, I imagine that that's true. I don't know. First and only comedy course for women in Toronto, which I found because you have good SEO. Like when I was thinking about. What is that? um, Search engine optimization. Thank you. Because I Googled. (laughs) I did did that on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) I Googled comedy classes Toronto and yours was the first thing that came up and I was like oh for only women like that could be because of the amount the sheer amount of millennials I have taught like yourself (laughs) yes and I do get a lot of people in the class who work in social meds and all that Mm -hmm. so that's social media (laughs) and all that stuff it been since you took it maybe I was 27 I'm 30 so three years oh my goodness I thought it was longer look at me I'm such a success now yeah (laughs) it's all because of you (laughs) well you kind of hit the ground running from class one it was like you were gonna do this and yeah yeah you and I have I think of a very like how we write jokes is like very similar and I think for me that's probably because you taught me how to write a joke yeah maybe but also, like, if I hadn't related to that, I wouldn't have, like, kept using your mm-hmm. – so for me, it's, like, I like, like, when we sit down and write and, like, you've helped me, like, mm-hmm. work on stuff. And I've always found that very valuable because I think we have a similar process. Oh, yeah? Which is, like, 
find some funny shit that happens to you. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, definitely one way is pay attention to it when it does happen. Yeah. I always remember you were like when someone laughs at something you say or if you hear something that makes you laugh like you overhear something, just like make a note of it and like don't forget to like keep that muscle working, right? Mm-hmm. Like noticing funny shit, noticing when you've been funny, noticing when something weird happens to you. I think about that a lot. Oh, my God. Yeah, because without that, like, you're starting from scratch all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And it kind of teaches you what you're finding funny anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, probably after I took your course, like, it did kind of blow up. Like, you did have, like, the feature in the Globe and Mail. And, like, it got, like, quite heavily publicized for a while, maybe in a way Last year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it reached this sort of critical mass or something. And then... Yeah, because for every, I guess it's like somewhere between 350 and 400, I guess, people that have taken it. So then they tell two friends and so Mm -hmm. on and so on, right? And so it kind of got that uh, turnover. And then the article in the Globe and Mail by Mm -hmm. Monica was like, I started noticing a bit of a smart caliber of mm-hmm. women taking it. Yeah, you had a bunch of, there's a while where you had a bunch of lawyers and like, yeah. do you, do the, people treat it as like a Toastmasters sometimes? Never, because I'd have to run it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but in the way like, um, like more hobby mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the mix is always pretty similar to the one you had. Probably yeah. you get the one person like you who's there to do stand up, like, this is mm-hmm. me now. And yeah. then there's uh, a teacher. <laughs> and yeah. then there's like a recent journalism grad because they don't got work. <laughs> the, and it's a similar process, mm-hmm. you know, researching a premise, whatever. Um, usually someone who's just had a breakup. Uh, yeah. Usually a mom. Like a bucket lister. There's pretty much a reliable mix in every group. And that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. If it was just all a bunch of people who are gung-ho to be comedians, I, it wouldn't be as interesting. And it's a real small percentage of people who are there for that reason. Yeah, which is interesting because if you look, I think, currently at the landscape of, like, women doing comedy in Toronto, like, you and your class have got to be responsible for, like, 75%. I would say the number's got to be pretty high. Like, most of my friends in comedy are people who like who are women who also took your course it's at least 50 percent, probably of the community that's happening of people who are actually doing Mm stand-up yeah you essentially started doing comedy girl because you were like (laughs) judging the tim sims which Mm -hmm. is a comedy award that used to uh happen in Toronto, it doesn't mm-hmm. anymore. It's do- it some... Last year was the last year, yeah. Yeah, anyways, <laughs> no big. I was nominated for it a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but Don, you were on the jury. You, the jury for it, and you were just like, why is it just well, men? <laughs> I just thought for sure I would nominate a woman. Mm-hmm. And um, from like going to see shows and stuff, the women who were qualified had already been nominated, so Mm -hmm. I couldn't nominate them. And then there seemed to be this gap. Like, there were some women starting out, but they weren't ready to do Mm -hmm. it. Um, And to me, it's always been a numbers game because, um, you know, because when I started out, there were so few of us. Mm -hmm. That whole story of, you know, if a woman sucks on stage, oh, women suck. Yeah. 
if a guy does, oh, he sucks. But yeah, so you're representing all women. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just such a numbers game. Like you've got all these guys doing it and they're kind of growing up in the industry, running things eventually and like, yeah, just boots on the ground, get the numbers of women up. Mm -hmm. And then you get that handful that really are doing it, excelling, getting showcased, moving on up in the industry. And it's a really, really small percentage Mm -hmm. of even people who take the class and want to be comedians. And then to start doing comedy, and it's so rough Mm -hmm. to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so that's why it's so important to put out just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds Mm -hmm. and amplify the actual number in the community. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that it does level the playing field and it is less of that like, yeah, if one woman is like shitty at comedy, it doesn't mean the rest of us are shitty at comedy. I think that's a funny idea of like you have to speak for your whole like gender. I think that even goes into like racialized people or like queer people. It's like if you are like the one person, then it's like understood that you are the voice of all mm-hmm. of those people, but mm-hmm. that actually makes no sense, especially in comedy, which comes from such an individualistic perspective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you've been doing comedy for a fuck-ass long time, <laughs> and you've been teaching this course, and then you very recently, within the past couple years, were on JFL in Montreal for the first time, and mm-hmm. then you've been writing for Baroness Von Sketch, which yeah. is the extremely well-received CBC sketch comedy show. In this world where everyone's, like, vying to be on, like, top 30 under 30 lists or, like, yeah. get in and have all the success when they're so young, like, I've, like think that your career is such a like for me I find it very inspirational this idea that you just like you do the work and you plug away at it and it doesn't need to be this instant thing and you can build yourself this like life around almost like a slow burn to get to this like really nice and like well-deserved success and all these cool things happening to you well thank you (laughs) it's nice that it did finally happen Um, I have to say, when I was starting out, I really thought I had to get on those lists. Mm -hmm. And especially while you're young, there seems to be some external pressure of something needs to happen while you're new at it Mm -hmm. or or it won't or something like that. We love these uh, ingenues and and just starting out people. And um, but also in the last um, three years or so, maybe even less than that, I've switched my perspective Mm -hmm. and I don't give any attention to the lists I'm not making and I only pay attention to what works for me. Now, it's a practice. I slip up and get (laughs) negative and stuff, but it really did shift my whole perspective on my industry, like my relationship with my career and... um, I think that had a lot to do with um, just dropping a lot of resistance and and letting it come, you know? Yeah. 
And then, yeah, the whole not quitting counts for a fuck of a lot in this industry. And even if you never get recognition, don't quit because you will. Yeah. <laughs> you will. Yeah. Not quitting counts for so much. And especially in comedy, I think, I know tons of people who have been doing it and, like, take breaks, like, whether it be, like, a couple months or, like, a year or whatever, because, like, the grind of comedy, you have to, like, get up and leave your house, <laughs> which, like, honestly, not always an option for, like, me or other people, you know. know what I mean? I know, and when I was starting out, like, I had to be at every show, and I wanted to be at two at the same time mm -hmm. and all that, but now I'm like, oh, I never want to go out. <laughs> I never want to go out. Yeah. yeah, well, it's hard. <laughs> and I'm coming from, like, a still recent perspective. But in my first year of comedy, I would do nights where I was like, I'm going to try and do, like, four shows a night. And now I'm like, why? <laughs> well, you have a full-time job, too. Yeah, I do. Yeah. that, And I did for a long time, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, is that, like, once you've managed to get yourself out of your house, it's like then you have to go be – performative mm -hmm. you have to go you have to perform you want to do well and then you like have to socialize with all of these people in your community mm -hmm. and it's like you got to be on on stage and you got to be on off stage and it's like not looked mm -hmm. kindly upon if you sort of like show up and then just dip it's this whole like performance within a performance you know what I mean it's exhausting um yeah what I did this August for the first time was just take three weeks off mm -hmm. where I just didn't take shows like you never remember mm -hmm. to block off some time mm -hmm. and say no to things yeah. and have that fallow time to kind of regenerate, especially after um, being in a writer's room yeah. like for Baroness. It it takes everything from stand-up, but it's because you want to give all your ideas mm -hmm. and you want to shine in a shiny room and yeah. you want to be playing with these great people all the time, but... Live a little, have experiences to talk about. Yeah. I think it's interesting when people get into comedy at, like, I know people who, like, started when they were teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's crazy and I'm admirable. So I'm so envious. I'm envious of them like I envy people who are out in high school. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I feel like when I started comedy that that was my high school. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't really have a high school experience, but I started getting the tropes of high school mm -hmm. a bit in my 20s. That's so interesting. And then how old were you when you started comedy? 26 or 7, I think. Okay, we were, we were almost the same age then. And how old were you when you came out? It was a couple years later. Yeah. And so do you think that comedy was part of it? Um... Yeah, in that it was, um, well, you're just in a current atmosphere mm -hmm. for the most part. I mean, there's lots of antiquated opinions mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But for the most part, yeah, you're mixing with all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And um, it's Toronto. It's, mm -hmm. it's urban and everything. So, yeah, I'm meeting more people and stuff that... I wasn't in Hamilton, <laughs> working in a hospital. Um, and then, uh, yeah, one of my best friends at the time was Dave Tomlinson. And um, I remember just talking to him about 
stuff. Like, I think a guy had asked me out and I said no and I didn't know why. And <laughs> he was like, maybe you're bisexual. And I was like, yes, maybe I am. And then the next day I phoned him. I was like, Dave, I'm not bisexual. I'm gay. <laughs> I was like, I considered it for an evening. I was like, no. No, they have nothing to do with it. Um, I love that. One day you were like, I'm a straight woman. And then a day later you were like, I'm bisexual. And then the next day you were like, just kidding. I'm totally gay. Yeah, And yeah. it's, you've just been gay as hell since then. Yeah. <laughs> um, and did that like change how you wrote comedy? Were you all of a sudden like, well, I have this whole gay thing to pull from? Or were you just... Not at first. And um, after I did a big gay show, mm -hmm. my first big gay show was Strange Sisters at Buddies and Bad Times Theater. <laughs> and Peaches was on it as well. <laughs> but she wasn't huge then. Yeah. Yeah, but she was awesome on it. It was so cool. But... Um, yeah, it was it was like a huge, huge lesbian show, mm -hmm. and I was so intimidated. I was like, if these people reject me, what the <laughs> fuck am I gonna do? Because like it's so intimidating to enter the gay community, especially then in the nineties. Mm -hmm. It was like n there's no RuPaul's Drag Race mm -hmm. to watch or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. like a, whatever. I was so terrified, but I killed it. Amazing. on that show because I'd been working as a real comedian for a couple of years mm -hmm. already. And of course my material is going to work. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh my God, I know jokes about women and dildos and stuff like that. <laughs> like I thought it had to be so gay, but I just did my material. Mm -hmm. And then it was a really amazing experience for me. Um, and it, also just galvanized me as a comedian first. Mm -hmm. Before anything, my loyalty and my whatever <laughs> goes to the material first and not to any other part of my identity because mm -hmm. that, what I'm writing jokes about is my truth and, you know, the queer community is part of my truth. But yeah. And it was important to do well there. But then also um, on those shows you see people who at that time especially, there's so many queer comics now, mm -hmm. but at that time, no. Mm -hmm. And um, you saw people who perform once a year at Pride. Oh, wow. You know, they do, you know, get-ups and all kinds of stuff. It's more cabaret, and, and it kills at these Pride shows, but I'm watching it going, this would never hold up mm -hmm. in the actual community because mm -hmm. it's a festival audience, and they're there to really love you up and it's an experience all comedians should have mm -hmm. once a year or so for confidence and stuff but it's not how you want to gauge your material and I was so glad to start out as a closet case I guess in the <laughs> actual in the real community you know mm -hmm. even now your comedy like of course you talk about being gay in your comedy but it's not like you're not like Don the lesbian Whitwell. No, it's more like, like uh, you know, I'll talk about my wife like anyone would. Yeah, yes. Because that's day-to-day -day yeah. stuff. You're very like casual about it, which makes it not funnier, but like it allows people to see it as like a very real thing for you that you're not just like you don't have an hour of like material about 
being gay. Also, it's, it's just, Toronto 2016. I don't have to explain anything to anyone, yeah. you know. I remember someone asking me, like, early on if I considered myself a feminist comedian. And I was like, well, of course I do, but I don't think you need to use the word feminist. I think that, like, if you know me and you watch me do five minutes of stand If you're a misogynist comedian, maybe use yeah. that word. <laughs> and just warn us. Yeah, <laughs> so we can leave before you get on stage. Let's just assume feminist is the playing field. Yes, man. Wouldn't that be the fucking dream? Um, people's politics are, like, to me, so obvious from, like, what they tell jokes about. And, like, even if their material isn't inherently political, yeah. it's, like, I think, The way yeah. they talk about mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know. You know. Do you have a favorite mayonnaise bit? Oh, Brian Ward, I think. Oh, yes. BLMT. Brian. You know, he's right, though. Mayonnaise does not get enough shine as a sandwich. Because a BLT is not, is disgusting without mayonnaise. We're not even talking sandwich. That's so, a chicken salad. Yeah. Well, Why just, are you including bread in this with no mayonnaise? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And then it's, it's like toasted usually. So then it's like. Oh, wait, there's no chicken. It's a bacon salad. Bacon salad. Mm. Bacon salad sounds good. Mm. <laughs> you wanna? I like a bacon sandwich, though. White bread. Yeah. Mm. Wonder bread, bacon, mm. mayonnaise, mm. maybe a tomato if you're feeling healthy. Mm. If you're feeling like a health guru. <laughs> a show off. Yeah. Really? <laughs> what do you got? Fresh tomatoes in your fucking house? Now I gotta toast the bread? Yeah. Go away. <laughs> my mom said that when she was pregnant with me, she ate a lot of bacon sandwiches. And I was like, well, that's how I keep my girlish figure, apparently. Mm -hmm. So thanks, thanks, Mom. Thanks a lot, Mom. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, woman who's never weighed. More than 110 pounds. Anyways. <laughs> I started on this train and then we got derailed by a very interesting derailment. But what's it been like to like be a comedian for 19 years and write your own material and then get into a writer's room for something like Baroness? In a weird way, I always felt like the class sort of felt like a very moderated writer's room where everyone was, like, coming to the table with ideas. Mm -hmm, and you were mm -hmm. like, yes, maybe. No, no, no. Yeah, um, keep going with yeah. that. <laughs> Think on that some more and then come back. Cross out that the. You don't need that there. Um, was it weird as hell to go from, like, writing your own material to being in a room with, like, a bunch of brilliant, funny people where you had to write with them? Well, writing for other people wasn't even weird one bit, which you would think it would be. Yeah. But what the hurdle that I had to overcome season one, um, because I was hired as a stand-up and I, I don't have sketch experience mm -hmm. and it's sketch comedy. And I came into the room thinking I had to learn a new skill, mm -hmm. which you're going to just learn from doing it. Yeah. Um, but I took it a, a bit too seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, I got to be a great sketch writer mm -hmm. here. And this year in the writer's room, because uh, we just finished, sh they're shooting season two right now, um, I wasted far less time mm -hmm. getting to being jokey and silly and jamming and having fun. And I'm there to add jokes to things. And if I need someone to ground a silly idea, there's people there who know how to do that. Yeah. So um, I've really, really dug learning 
to collaborate with people yeah. and to go into the room with your idea and not having to have all the pieces because I almost get more excited when I don't have all the pieces because somebody might have such a great yes. piece for it. Um, that room is, that job is pure, pure joy from beginning till end. And I say you give all your ideas to the show, but happily, like mm -hmm. you leave there kind of tapped out, but in such a great way. And it's really a blessed experience. And I've never used that term. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, like, it's such a supportive environment. And in the way we all love to write, mm -hmm. where they want your best ideas, and mm -hmm. they want to make them better. And they want to have the best show they can have, which you think would be a given. Yeah. Okay, so it's felt like for a long time, maybe the CBC has been putting out stuff that's like, people are like, oh, wow, wow, the CBC, like, they're doing the thing again. But they're on a little bit of a glow up when it comes yeah. to, like, comedy and, like, sitcom-y stuff, because, like, Baroness has been so incredibly well-received. Mm -hmm. Um like Americans are know what it is. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and they're loving it. Which is how we value ourselves as Canadians. Mm, that means it's good. Um, like I literally went home to see my dad, and he was like showing me sketches from Baroness, and I was like, you know that like several dear friends of mine write for that show, right? And he was like, oh, I had no idea. And he's like, did you see this one about going to the cottage? And I was like, yes, I did see the one about going to the cottage. Yes. <laughs> um. Do you feel like you're part of something like cool? Oh my god, at the CBC right it's now. It's really unbelievable to me that I write on this show. I don't have a writing ex yeah. like background, but the um, the women on the show have been my friends for a long, long mm -hmm. time since the '90s, mm -hmm. basically. So when like Carolyn, who Carolyn Taylor, who's on it and um, is one of the executive producers, when she, um, well, I found out they got it from CBC and stuff. It, it was very exciting. But when she asked me for a sketch package, I felt so lucky. And when she hired me, well, they hired me for the writer's room. I, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the best. But then in the writer's room, you're just like, this is the best job I've ever had, no matter how this turns out. Mm -hmm. But we really liked what we were doing. Mm -hmm. But that's not the same as it being received. Like, yeah. I, I think a lot of TV shows like the show they're making. Mm -hmm. And then I don't understand TV well enough to know what happens between that and airing. Yeah. But so... We're excited about it. We're proud. We feel lucky to be doing it. But nobody has any idea that it's going to blow up like this. Yeah. So it just keeps going and going and going and getting more and more amazing attention. And I just, my mind is blown. Like all of those feelings that I've had from the beginning of feeling lucky, feeling proud of it, feeling just uh, super blessed to be yeah. <laughs> you know, included in the ride, mm -hmm. even before knowing how it would turn out. And then you see the little online clips and it's like, fuck, they nailed that one. Yeah. Oh, they've nailed that one. Like in the writer's room, you hear them acting it out at the table and stuff. And you're like, this is so funny mm -hmm. and makes us laugh still. Mm -hmm. But for them, like, you know, the director and all those people to also nail it 
then that was amplifying all the excitement. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck, everyone I'm seeing got nailed. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, now all the attention and all this um, hype and stuff is just like, like in one way, you're like, of course, we were so proud of it. And so, um, you know, this was what we thought was funny. But on the other hand, you have no idea yeah. how that ever works. Yeah. So it's completely mind-blowing and surprising in a way. And also like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's nice because it's like when you do something like that that you do have a sense of pride in. When I mean, it's like external validation, whatever, whatever. But it's like something that you're like you're but making the external art for public val- consumption. Validation, so. right. Because when as a comedian you're used to laughter. Yeah. You're used to putting something up, an idea of yours. And the audience receives it or they don't. And you know if it works or if Mm -hmm. it doesn't. And then in the writer's room, I don't have that muscle. Yeah. And luckily there's experienced sketch writers there for if I overwrite or underwrite Mm -hmm. because I'm used to having an audience tell me this. Yeah. So, of course, external validation is that as well. It's like the audience hearing it for the first time and laughing. You're like, okay, this works. Only you've put thousands and thousands of dollars (laughs) and hours and effort into it just to see if it works. Yeah. Yeah. I feel a sense of, like, pride for you because it's, like, I think you deserve, like, the best things because you're amazing. Thanks. So funny and so kind. Aw. That's what was, like, struck me about your course was that. And then especially afterwards talking to people who, like, I don't know, went to Humber, like, whenever I talk shit on this podcast all the time. But, like, I've heard a lot about, like, the Humber comedy course is very, like, like, it's not like that. Do you know what I mean? You aren't encouraged to, like – you're encouraged to, like, be edgy for the sake of being edgy or no one's telling you when you're doing sexist or racist shit. But, like, your class always really felt like a place where people were willing to be, like, mm-hmm, no, like, you can't say that that's sexist, that's racist. Like, but also a very, like, warm space where it was, like, people came in and were, like, oh, I, like, just had this crazy breakup and, like, I wrote this joke about my ex-boyfriend. Like, is this good? Like, so it was, like, this super warm beautiful thing and you were so always so kind and so lovely and i just you know thanks girl you deserve all sorts of stuff so do you thanks babe yeah i mean it's always a highlight for me to teach a class with people like you in it who have enthusiasm who do what i tell you (laughs) and set an example for people and so i don't have to you know convince them why they should just listen to me it was funny too because when you were doing jfl last year and you had asked me to substitute teach a couple classes for you it was super funny to be on the other end of it where I I was like I was like oh yeah (laughs) because everyone was like especially the level two course that I taught like everyone was like funny and great and so like amazing but it was funny I was like oh yeah and then I was like do your homework come back with this done next week for done (laughs) I know where you live I don't know where any of you live How was your experience doing JFL 42 this year? It's like the festival ending this weekend. Yeah, I'm doing the last show of the festival, which is midnight on Saturday. I got to open for Jackie Cation. Jackie Cation is. Love her. And she did a workshop for Comedy Girl. Yes, I really 
wanted to go to that. And then I just was like, the timing was not good for me. 9 a.m. on Saturday? Yeah. It wasn't a, good for you? Not a great time, Don. I have to admit. <laughs> but um, the we had about 25 people out. They just loved it. She yeah. really um, she really ran a great workshop. On one of the shows I opened for her, she had her good friend Maria Bamford also open. And that was a freaking highlight for me. Yeah. Total highlight for me. That's amazing. And um, I got to open for Sabrina Jalice. Yes. Yes. Sabrina's amazing. Yes. And um, and then uh, I got to do my own show, Dawn Patrol, and that was on Monday, and that was just such a great, great night. I mean, it was packed, and the uh, lineup was so good. And yeah. I've been having a great time this year, and I'm not uh, doing an hour or anything or uh, booked officially, I just scammed some opening spots and an alternative <laughs> show, and and I really like this uh, casual participation <laughs> vibe. Yeah, because you did, for the first time last year, you did the JFL in Montreal, like the big bad yeah. boy, OG JFL, and then you came and did a bunch of, like, opening spots. You were one of the 42 for JFL I did 42. an hour last year, um, yeah, and then some openings, and then that Montreal taping is supposed to air in the fall, but I still don't have a an air date. So oh, what that would have been channel? good to say. Was it comedy? Comedy Network. Cool. Yeah. And you were, you did a Comedy Now special, didn't you? Yeah. yeah in 2011. I, 2011, baby. Look how far you've come. <laughs> <laughs> Are they airing the whole hour? I only taped like eight minutes for Montreal. Oh, okay. And that's go down to like three and a half or something. And then the hour I did in Toronto wasn't taped. But I might tape it as um, an album. Yes, yeah. please do. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, tape your album and let me host the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> you heard it here. Lauren Mitchell hosting my taping. Yay! Well, not I, much to do if I'm doing an hour though. Yeah, but you know, let me come on and be like, it's done. I will. Okay, for sure. Thank you. All right, y'all. That was episode twenty. I'd love. To thank, again, Don Whitwell for coming through. That was so fun. Cavern of Secrets is brought to you by Hazlitt. It's hosted by me, Lauren Mitchell. Our theme song was made by Bianca Giulione. It's produced by my very dear friend and all-around wonderful human, Anshuman Idamsetti. You can find us literally everywhere on the internet, like iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, I don't know, your mom's Facebook page. Your mom loves us. I'm sure of it. You can also find us on our website. We have a website, cavernofsecrets.com. You can and should follow us on Twitter. We are at Cavern of Secrets. Uh, And as always, if you could leave us a little review on iTunes, that would be extremely lovely. It helps people find us, and we really appreciate when you do it. And if you've gotten to the end of these credits, I love you. I'm so bad with names that one time I ran into a pretty good friend of mine and I was like, oh, my God, how's Kevin? It's Michael. We broke up. (laughs) Why do I just throw any name out? How's the BF next time? (laughs) Yeah. How's just wait a sec. A beat. They'll give it. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You always got to wait. A tiny bit. A little bit. 
That's a comedy lesson for you guys. Always know how to work your beats and your sentences. Oh, I'll give oh, I'll give one of Jackie's that she gave in the workshop. Yes, it's please. from her father. Okay. I don't know. Can I do this? Yes, can, you yeah. can. I'm saying you can. It's from her dad who told her never say no without a number. And so she said that in the workshop where if you get offered a gig you don't want, mm-hmm. you say, I would love to do it. My rate is $10,000, <laughs> and uh, just let me know the rest of the details, when you name me, blah, blah, blah. And when they get back to you, like, oh, we can't pay you 10000 just be like, oh, well, keep me in mind when your budget grows, but just know that mine, all, my rates also do go up. And, <laughs> and uh, always say yes.